Can you become a no one? Who are you, really? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There's a quote by the Oracle of Delphi that you probably see popping up here and there. It says to know thyself. I spent the past week really thinking about what that means, and I've come to the understanding that I don't know who I am. The person that I thought I was, that person that I defend so aggressively, so vehemently when I feel like I've been insulted or attacked or misunderstood, wasn't even... It wasn't even constructed by me. I, my present self, is largely a construct of other people's decisions, choices, projections, and expectations. For example, my name, my own name, your name, wasn't even your choice. It was given to you by strangers who chose to have a child and bring you into this world. And it could be argued that they might not even have a choice to bring you into this world, depending on how you came along, right? So for me, I was born in Nigeria. So my place of birth was not my choice. My mom actually told me that I could have been born in the UK, but given that in the 80s, Nigeria's economy was doing very well, and then my mom was concerned about the deeply systemic racism prevalent in England at the time, she basically chose to give birth to me in Nigeria. But she did have a choice. We were, they were in the UK while she was pregnant. And so she could have had me there, but she chose to have me in Nigeria instead. And then she made a different choice, which really wasn't a choice if you think about it. It was more of a reaction to the circumstances at that time. I'd be speaking to you with a different accent and probably from a different country my hair the way I wear my hair most of the time long light colored and straight maybe with curls at the end that's a reaction to the society that I found myself in as an African American female living in a predominantly non-African country surrounded by a populace of people with straight hair who seem to be slightly hostile to those who are different from them. As is typical behavior of any animal, if you count the human race as a type of animal, I attempted to camouflage myself. So the long, light-colored hair was an attempted camouflage. We observe this behavior in the animal kingdom. Individuals that stick out in their environment, make for pretty easy predator prey. These creatures best adapted to their environment are the ones that are most likely to survive. Hence, as I speak to you now, I am without my original African accent, the prevalence of my long straight hair, and other adaptation-driven behaviors I largely engage in, like my way of dress, my choice to wear makeup, if you want to call that a choice, given what women have to go through in this society. Um, My nails. All of these things are largely enacted more or less unconsciously. Like I literally didn't even think about why I did these things until I sat down to write this podcast. So if I was raised in a different environment, as I said, my manners, speech would be different, my dress would be different, and other such behaviors would be reflective of that environment 
that I found myself in. Just because I'm a highly adaptive being. Now, although I wasn't always. When we moved to the United States, I learned very quickly that Americans in certain parts of the country are incredibly homogeneous. In the Midwest, people are extremely uncomfortable with people who dress and speak and look differently from them. Mostly because they don't frequently encounter people from other cultures. And so had my parents chosen to maybe immigrate to, let's say, New York, perhaps, or Boston, not Boston, Houston, Atlanta, California, like Los Angeles, I probably would have been different, right? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been forced to learn to adapt so quickly as the immigration to a homogeneous environment taught me to. So I would have a slightly different personality than what I have now. So to reiterate, who I am now is largely a construct of or a reaction to the environment and the people around me for better or worse. And so are you. Even if you consider yourself a quote-unquote rebel, say you're a woman and you shave your head bald, or you dress as a goth, or a skater, or a punk, you see how even those identifications are still born out of a reaction to societal's norms. To society's norms, rather. And do you also see how each category of rebelliousness is neatly organized, <laughs> complete with its own set of norms, mores, and dress codes? So all you did really was reject the larger society with one set of rules and adopt a smaller society with a different set of rules and a different set of uniforms and manner of speech, behavior, even down to its type of music, all of which you didn't really choose, but were more or less thrust upon you. For example, goths, what's their uniform? They dress in black, they paint their nails black, their lipstick is black, right? They have their own behavior. Metalheads, they listen to their own, they have their own music, they grow their hair long, they have their own kind of behavior. Bikers, they have their own set of behavior. Woke culture, their own set of behavior. If you decide to dress differently one day in your group that you consider a quote-unquote rebellious group, say you're a woke black guy, right, and you show up with a perm, right, for some reason, or you show up to a gathering with a white girlfriend, right, but you're woke, or let's say you're a goth white woman, and you show up to your next social gathering in khakis and pearls and an argyle sweater. Even the very act of rebellion will be met with ostracization reactions from people within a group that's supposed to be a rebellious group. group. Right? Because these quote-unquote rebellious groups still have a set of rules and guidelines for you to follow. 
The group dictates your behavior and you become the group. You become a construct of whatever group you found yourself in that you've now identified yourself in. Let's look around now. Let's see the other behaviors, right? Everybody's going to the gym now. Everybody goes to the gym and they work their ass off because that's what most people do now. Or most people in the group that you found yourself in at this time in history, that's what they do. Had you been born in the 1920s? My guess is the idea of bodybuilding and exercising would probably be the furthest thing from your mind. Because it's largely as a result of the time period that you found yourself in. You also happen to own a smartphone, a device in which you spend the majority of your time on, and you think that that behavior is normal because, well, other people are doing it too. So despite the radiation that you're constantly pressing to your head, to your brain, uh, the fact that you're literally wasting your potential away on, on social media, swiping, endlessly scrolling on apps like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and whatever else everybody else is doing. Like, think about that. If you were born 100 years in either direction, in the past or in the future, from now, how would you look at the fact that people are spending so much of their lives staring mindlessly at their cell phones, taking hundreds of selfies, airbrushing like the fuck out of these selfies and then choosing the best out of like those hundred selfies to post on their social media page and share with total strangers. I mean, it would look as as wild to you as maybe the fact that people owned human beings <laughs> a couple hundred years ago, you know, kind of looked, looks to, to most of us anyway. Um, now, all right, where you go, what you wear, what you order to eat, and then decide to take a picture of or video of, you post it. This is all determined by the approval or the disapproval that you're expecting from others from strangers that you don't know. And those strangers are more or less doing the same exact thing. It's fucking weird, guys. <laughs> Seriously. What we're doing is really weird. And not to mention we're all talking about the same things now. Does this conversation sound familiar? Hey, how are you? Fine. How about you? Great. Great. Can you believe this weather? Oh my God, I know. Oh my God, did you hear about what Trump did? Oh my God, I know. Oh my God, did you see The Bachelor? Yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Oh my God, did you hear what the Kardashians did? Oh my God. Yeah, I know, right? I'm assuming this is what normal people talk about. <laughs> um, you get the gist. But across the country, across all age groups and ethnicities, People are pretty much wearing the same shit, eating the same shit, complaining about the same shit. They're on the same types of prescription drugs. 
either high blood pressure, Adderall, statins, antidepressants, or birth control pills, etc. I'm painting in broad strokes, obviously, but you get my drift. So how are you free if you're just doing what everybody else is doing? If you're just saying what everybody else is saying? If you're just living how everybody else is living? What exactly does... When exactly does your exercise of your free will come in? If most of your actions are either hindered by or driven by concerns about what other people are going to think or say about you, how can you say that you're free? We are all each other's jailers, prisoners, and judges. We're all members of a hive mind suffering under the illusion of individuality and free will. I went out to dinner the other day with a small group of my husband's friends. When it was time to order drinks, I chose to order a decaf tea. And everyone proceeded to lose their shit. I got bombarded with questions. Wait, what? You don't drink. Why aren't you getting a drink? Are you a designated driver? What? What do you mean you don't drink? Like, what happened? Did you used to have, like, a drinking problem? Are you a recovering alcoholic? Um, no, <laughs> right? You guys not see the warning labels in the alcohol bottle that warns about alcohol causing cancer? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to I'm going to hard pass on the cancer and the cirrhosis and the addiction and the hangover. Thanks. Of course I didn't actually say that. I wanted to. But I but I don't. I just usually say something to the effect of like, uh, yeah, I don't drink anymore and just leave it. But I really want to ask actually is like, why do you drink? And why are you so pressed that I don't drink? Like, really? Like, really? Why do you feel right now at this present moment, the compulsion, the need to poison your body with a toxin at every social gathering? And why does there have to be something wrong with people who choose to make a different choice than what you're doing right now? Like, what the fuck is that all about? Like, really, think about it. Some alcohol companies paid some ad agencies lots of money to program the masses to consume alcohol at social gatherings, at dinners, after a long day of work, through repetitive ads and subliminal product placements. And now, as a result of these actions of people outside of themselves, these people outside of you have created within you Desires that now drive you to consume their products at settings of their choosing. And then you're coming for me because I'm choosing not to? How's that cool? Like, what if instead of alcohol, it was cigarettes that we were all programmed to smoke at happy hour after work? 
And for some reason, I just decided, you know what? I'd rather not inhale copious, copious amounts of toxic smoke directly into my lungs repeatedly. Would you come at me with that same energy? I mean, probably, right? <laughs> like, people were smoking the shit out of their lungs back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and 80s and 90s until the government stepped in and said, hey, tobacco companies, can you stop programming people to smoke? Because your shit is out here giving people cancer. And there are people who are still smoking, even after all the warnings, knowing that this shit will cause cancer because now they're addicted which is just another type of loss of free will. Doctors used to prescribe cigarettes. I'll say that again. Doctors used to prescribe cigarettes to people. That does make you stop and think for a second. I don't know what will. I call myself an artist. I am defined as an artist. Most people who see my work, everyone who sees my work will call me an artist. But I suspect that even my desire to be defined as an artist is largely driven by a desire to manage other people's expectations of my behavior. All the seemingly crazy shit that I say and do are largely excused or even condoned because I regularly apply paint to canvas on an almost daily basis. I get to get away with shit. I get to just be myself. Because I paint every day. To me, that's a small price to pay, but what do I know? You know what? Actually, now that I think about it, the next time I'm in a gathering and people ask me, hey, why don't you drink? I'm just going to say, oh, I'm an artist and see what they say. Sit back and watch that label placate their minds as they use the label as a band-aid over my non-conforming behavior. Oh, okay, it's okay. She's an artist. You're an artist. Oh, okay, good. I I, I thought you were just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> oh, but you're an artist. Okay, that's fine. Have your tea. Have your tea. She probably, she probably doesn't want to, you know, ruin her creativity, her creative section of her brain, right? And just watch people just come up with excuses because of that label. Now, if I say that we are a hive mind operating under the illusion of individuality and the illusion of free will, you would more than likely say that I was wrong. Unless, of course, you're like a philosopher or a psychologist and you understand that we, in fact, are. But when we see someone behaving as an individual, we fucking attack them as a society collectively. Why the fuck are you dressing like that? What the fuck are you wearing? Why do you think like that? Fucking conform, right? I had a pair of uh, pink glittery sneakers. I still have a pair of pink glittery sneakers, pink. And I wear them all the time because I fucking love pink. And clearly, they were made to be worn, so I'm going to wear them. And I was out with a friend, and like every like 
two or three hours, he would say something like, why are you wearing those shoes? It was like my shoes were bothering him, and I don't know why. And I was because they're fucking awesome. And I left it at that. Why did it matter? I wasn't even doing anything wild. Right? I was just wearing pink glittery shoes. But I don't know. And I wanted to ask, why does it bother you that I'm just wearing pink shoes? Is it because you have to just wear sensible shoes and there's a part of you that resents it? I get, I, I get to do stupid shit, like wear pink shoes and walk around. Do you want to wear pink shoes? You can wear pink shoes too. It's okay. It's cool. You know, without even the title of artist can be just another role. I understand that I can wear pink shoes, pink glittery shoes, and nobody can say shit to me. And if they do, eventually they'll calm the fuck down because they'll tell themselves, well, she's a fucking artist. She's a fucking weirdo. It's okay. That's just some shit that artists do. And then they get to go on about their day and I get to wear my pink shoes. It doesn't bother them. But there's a dark side to that. Right? There's, it's a pseudo-rebellious role. The role of artist. And it's complete with its own set of behaviors and expectations which can sometimes be dark. I had a conversation just recently with a friend who was telling me about one of her friends who was engaging in all sorts of extremely destructive behaviors, like like copious amounts of drugs, drinking all the time. Now she might be getting into porn. Arguing, just, just like ready to fight the drop of a hat. You got to be really careful what you say around her. Just very tense, very self-destructive behavior. And I asked her, I said, why is your friend behaving like that? And she said, oh, well, you know, she's an artist. You know how artists are. To which I responded, um, I'm an artist. <laughs> I, I don't do any of that, actually. I don't engage in self-destructive behavior. In fact, I spent the greater part of my time um, finding ways to be self-creative. Or I guess you could say, if I am destroying myself, it's not in the way that typically a person would say uh, that's self-destructive. I'm trying to destroy the persona of what I've been discussing to you now, right? A, a, a society-imposed persona. But it's not through destructive behavior. It's through reading and meditating. And I said, I'm an artist. I don't do that. I don't think you have to do that to be an artist. And she said, well, but yeah, you're different. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. I, I let it go at the time, but, but it really made me think like of artists and musicians and writers and photographers and models and actors who have basically destroyed themselves because they lost themselves in that tortured, I need pain to be creative, destructive role. So I know you don't need pain to create, like you really don't. It's just, it's just another thing that you can do. It's like, a, it's like work. You don't need pain to fucking mow your lawn. <laughs> you don't need pain to write. Just stop creating pain. I started reading Uspensky's 
Psychology of Man's Possible Evolution the other day. If you haven't read it, I, I recommend that you do. You can find it on eBay. It's a tiny book. It's easy to, easy to read. I'm only about a third of the way through it because I, I bought the physical copy instead of listening to it on Audible because, one, it wasn't on Audible. And I wanted to really just sit and take notes and really, really delve in, delve in consume it um, in its entirety. Um, so I've just been reading it like little at a time. But in it, he stated that Man was a composition of many eyes. Actually, what he said was, and this is a direct quote, more or less, um, man has not one permanent and unchangeable eye or ego. He is always different. The illusion of unity or oneness is created in man by the sensation of one body, by his name, by a number of mechanical habits, which are implanted in him by education or acquired by imitation. In reality, there is no controlling center, no permanent I. When man says I, it sounds as if he means the whole of himself, but it is only a passing mood or desire. In an hour's time, he may completely forget it and with the same conviction express an opposite opinion, view, or interest. Worst of it is that he does not remember it. I need you to listen to that a couple of times. Just hit that loop button and just loop back the last like 30 seconds of what I said and just really listen to what he's saying. Really listen to what he is saying. Like take that in. You know, there's this quote that says, he who angers you conquers you. To which I like to add, he who labels you enslaves you. I will admit that when I first read that, read that quote in Uspensky, the one I just read to you, the idea that I am not one person but many eyes, I found that idea kind of confusing. But, but I'm coming now to understand those eyes that he describes as labels. So when I when I look at those eyes that he's talking about as labels, that makes sense to me and it makes it makes it easier for me to understand what he's talking about. Right? Along with of course your moods, your desires, your views and your interests and all these things that are shaped largely by external circumstances. Okay? But you have your name. And that name is a label. And it was given to you by others outside of yourself. And that name comes with a set of expectations of behavior from your parents, from your loved ones, from your coworkers and your friends. They see you a certain way and they expect certain behaviors from you to which you more than likely will conform to. But then there are other labels such as black or African-American, white, Caucasian, European, female, male, Asian, Asian mom, African mom, Democrat, liberal, right-wing, conservative, left-wing, Republican, wife, daughter, sister, mother, neighbor, Mexican, Hispanic, in-law, artist, model, lover, friend, best friend, student, teacher, guru, boss, Christian, Buddhist, lawyer, follower, fan, doctor, consumer, stepmom, father, uncle, pastor, 
whatever fucking label that you've had thrust upon you or you've thrust upon yourself or have accepted upon yourself after it's been thrust upon you. Each label comes complete with its own set of expectations of your behavior, speech, rules that you must adhere to. And every one that you engage with, every single person that you engage with while you're wearing whatever label that they've given you expects you to behave accordingly to that label. Every person that you are interacting with. Customer. Customer service representative. And if you deviate from that expectation of behavior, from that expected behavior, conflict arises. Right? Why aren't you... The customer is always right. Why aren't you allowing me to be right? Why aren't you acting like the father, like a father is supposed to act? Why aren't you acting like how I think a father should act? Or a mother should act? Or a wife should act? These are the behaviors that I've assigned to you, largely based on idealized versions of said roles that I've seen on TV or in books, or comics, or cartoons, or in a holy book, or whatever the fuck. All of these are social, societal constructed sets of arbitrary rules of behavior. And I'm projecting that onto you, and I expect you to behave that way, and why aren't you behaving that way? Problem. You turn on the news, and the news says, a healthy and a happy married couple should be having sex at least 15 times a day. <laughs> Those are the rules. Uh, determined by some random guy in a fucking lab coat in Harvard. So if you're not having sex at least 14, 15 times a day, you are not a happy couple. And you need to go talk to somebody. Or you need to take a drug. Yeah, ask your doctor about this drug. And you're sitting there, you just turn on the TV to watch something funny. And now you're sitting there, like, oh shit, I thought I was I thought I was happy. And now I'm not happy. We're not we're not having 16th, that seems like a lot. <laughs> is something wrong with us? Is this what everybody else is doing? We need to go talk to somebody. Next thing you know, you're going to a psychologist. That's not how you wanted to spend your week. That's not how you wanted to spend your day. You just wanted to watch some cartoons. And now you're fucking going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> or your husband says, a wife is supposed to do this. Or the media says, a black person is supposed to talk like this. A white person is supposed to behave like this. A gay man is supposed to do this. A lesbian is supposed to do that. A genius sounds like this. Talks like this. If I know what labels you've accepted as an I... If I know which eyes you've identified with or you've added to yourself, I know what roles you will be playing and I know how you think and I know more or less what you look like or what you'll dress like and what your preferences are and I know how to control you. That's just on a small scale, right? Like, for example, if you're an average gay white male, I can take some pretty solid guesses about your likes, dislikes, politics, and what you'd be doing on a Friday night, depending on whether or not you're single, middle class, upper middle class, whatever your demographics that you fall under. 
you'd be doing pretty much the same shit everybody else in your demographic who identifies as a gay, white male will be doing on a Friday night. They know this. They pay people millions of dollars to collect this data so they can control you. I'm painting in broad strokes here, obviously, but you get what I'm saying. The same can apply to a single black female of a particular demographic or a single straight white male of a certain demographic. If you tell me, without me seeing you, that you are a white feminist female, I can tell you what you think. I can tell you what a medical doctor thinks, what a professor of so-and-so and such-and-such thinks. He who labels you enslaves you. A colleague of mine was telling me about how her former boss's wife used to be before she became Christian. Now, by her description, this woman, the boss's wife, identified as an upper middle class, white, Southern California socialite. I'm sure the image you presently have in your mind is of a blonde with breast implants, Botox, liposuction, butt lift, lip injections, plastic surgery, and you'd be hitting the nail dead on the head. All of what this woman thought was her choice, from her hair color to the injection of botulism into her forehead, were largely driven by external circumstances and the environment that she found herself in, which were probably not even her choice. She was probably just born in Southern California, and so that's what she became. She cheated on her husband, like probably most of her peers were doing, got divorced, and then later on she became a born-again Christian. And now she's gained weight. She stopped the Botox. She's, quote, covered herself up and Though I didn't ask what her present hair color is now, if I had to guess, I'd say she's probably no longer blonde. To get back to my first question at the start of this episode, can you become nobody? Can you become no one? Who are we without the labels? Who are we before we become child, son, daughter? Tom, Michelle, American. Each and every one of those labels comes with a chain. If you're born into one section of the country and you look around and the majority of people are behaving in a certain way, pretty soon you're going to find yourself behaving in a certain way and thinking that your behavior was born out of free will, but it wasn't. It's just the illusion It's just an illusion of free will. It's funny to me. Not funny, haha, but more funny as in sadly interesting. How violently we defend these labels that we didn't even choose. Right? You get into an argument and you have somebody say, Do you know who I am? How dare you? How dare you? Do I know who you are? 
Shit, do you know who you are? <laughs> do you know which who that you are defending so passionately right now? Did you choose that who? Which who are you defending? Which who is upset? A couple episodes ago, I talked about how we are more likely than not schizophrenics on a spectrum, on a continuum. And now I'm wondering if we aren't all also suffering from multiple personality disorders or dissociative identity disorder, right? Like, think about who you were as a kid. You were born into this world, right? You're just trying to be yourself. You're just trying to be an individual. But then every time you try to express your individuality, you're punished, either by a parent or by a teacher or a principal or some other adult or even your peers, your friends, right, who've also been punished until you learn to just fracture yourself into different personalities and different behaviors assigned, according to the roles rather, assigned to you. So now you're one way with your parents, now you're another way with your friends, and then you're at this way with your teachers, and you just keep fracturing and fracturing as you get older and fracturing and fracturing and fracturing until you're a full-blown adult, toggling between a multitude of roles, never really knowing who or what you are. And then you look in the mirror and you see one face smiling back at you, but that's really an illusion because you are legion. That mirror is cracked, fractured. Maybe you look in the mirror and you see a very huge nose because someone once told you that your nose is huge. And so now that's all you see, even though that's not what actually is. And no matter how many people tell you, you don't have a big nose. What are you talking about? Every time you look in the mirror, that's what you see. This person with the big nose. Or you see yourself as fat when you're actually extremely thin. But someone outside of you, something outside of you, once said to you that you weren't skinny enough, whether it was a magazine or a parent or a peer. And so now you starve yourself. And every time you look in the mirror, you're still not skinny enough. You're not seeing yourself. You don't see yourself. You see what other people have projected onto you. All the selves, all the many eyes, all the labels that others have put on you. Mother, your hair should be like this. Wife, you should dress like this. Parent, you should be like this. Educator, carry yourself like this. Christian, do this. Buddhist, do this. Guru, do this. Black, talk like this. White, talk like this. Asian, listen to this. Where's your choice? Can you become no one? Remind yourself of who you were before you came into this world. 
If you believe in reincarnation, then you should admit to yourself that you were once countless other else's, right? Someone else's daughter, someone else's son, someone else's wife, someone else's husband. Maybe you can just chill a little bit and recognize that the role that you're playing now is just the role that you've played before. And you got it. You can play the role however you choose to define it. Instead of being defined by that role. If you don't believe in reincarnation, then you were nothing before. And you will return to the nothing after. So just chill a little. (laughs) These are just roles. Or maybe when you find yourself getting angry at someone else, you can remind yourself that they too are lost in the various roles that have been thrust upon them. And they're more than likely not even conscious of why they're behaving in the way that they're behaving because they are deeply immersed in said roles. Or maybe they're just trying to reject a role that you might be unconsciously attempting to force upon them. They do have the right to choose. Theoretically, they do have the free will to decide. And if you love them and their rejection of that role doesn't physically or emotionally hurt you, let them have the free will to not take on yet another role, even if it's just temporarily. Sometimes we all get tired of playing fucking roles all day. We just want the space to be nothing, to be nobody, to just fucking be whatever we were before all of this. Let them. And if you find yourself emotionally hurt because someone you love isn't playing the role that you've assigned to them, ask yourself which you is actually hurt here. The real you or the role that you are presently attached to and have now lost yourself in. There's a story about two boats drifting on a serene lake, crashing into each other. The human rower in one boat immediately reacts in anger and starts yelling and cursing until she looks closer and she realizes that, oh, the other boat is empty. Feeling stupid, her righteous anger is immediately curtailed when she realizes that there was nobody there. You can look at that story in so many different ways. If you look at it as the human rower, then you are a conscious being directing your, your own path across a chosen cor- course, across the expanse of space. And if an unconscious being, which is the empty boat, then crashes into you, do you still react knowing that that boat is quote-unquote empty? And by empty, I mean that the other person has no free will, that they're being moved and directed along the waters by the currents of society. And so they don't really have control of their actions, where they are, of what they're doing. Do you still react? 
they're not conscious. They can't help it. They're be they're drifting. They're being moved. You can also look at it from a different perspective, in the perspective in which you are the boat with no one rowing. And you've come across someone's path, someone who is deeply identified in their rower personality. They cross paths with you, and at first they assume that you too are deeply immersed in their in your identity, in that rower identity. But because you've made yourself no one, because you're not attached to any role, because you're just sitting back and just letting life take you where it wants to take you. You're not attached to anything. There's no role attached to you. Their reactions cease. They stop reacting. And the conflict is averted. I like the idea of becoming no one. Not packing up my shit, abandoning my family, and moving to some fucking mountain somewhere or some forest somewhere to sit under a tree and meditate for the rest of my life. That's not a choice that I I feel comfortable making. But I do like the idea of becoming so conscious of the fact that all of us are deeply lost in this super immersive role-playing game called life. And that before I was ever Joe or Joanna, daughter, mother, wife, sister, friend, I was no one. I was nothing. I was nobody. Or at least I was a being that could not be identified, that could not be held by labels or by an identity. A being that you couldn't describe or define or fit into a neat little box. I was the expanse. I was the void. I was dark matter. I was dark energy. I was essence. I was soul, spirit, uncontained, no matter. Nothing. No one. Sometimes I like to look up into the night sky. That's my mirror. The dark, expansive sky is my unfractured mirror. I see myself. I see nothing. More, more, more precisely, I see what my senses cannot grasp cannot contain, cannot explain, or define. And there I find peace. In the stillness, I find peace. In the emptiness, in the vastness, in the darkness, I find peace. I can still be wife or mother or daughter or whatever else, but I can operate from a conscious space with the understanding that these are just roles that we are temporarily playing, that we're all just, for this moment, playing pretend. And not to take it all so seriously, because one day we will all put aside the masks and the costumes and the speech and the behaviors and go back to the void from when we came.
In the beginning was the darkness and the nothing, the formless and the void, and the deep, dark energy that permeates everything. The silence. Peace. I'll leave you with one quote by Eckhart Tolle. To know yourself as the being underneath the thinker. To know yourself. To know thyself as the being underneath the thinker. The stillness underneath the mental noise. The love and joy underneath the pain is freedom, salvation, enlightenment. In the stillness of your presence, you can find your own formless and timeless reality as the unmanifested life that animates your physical form. I think it was Ram Das that said in one of his books that even when the clouds are in the sky, the sun is still present. The sun is still there. If you think about all these roles as clouds, and you think about who you really are as the sun, or as all of space, that should bring you peace. I choose to identify myself as, as, as nothing. I choose to sit outside at night and look up and meditate and think nothing. Not get caught up in the roles, the rules the labels of what I'm supposed to be as predicated by society, by others. All the world's a stage. Men and women, merely players, players, 